We Saved You a Seat is sponsored by the Oklahoma Family Network. Oklahoma Family Network focuses on supporting families of children and youth with special health care needs and disabilities, as well as families who have children with a mental health or behavioral health diagnosis. Oklahoma Family Network provides families with emotional support, resource navigation, parent-to-parent engagement opportunities, and wants to ensure quality health care for all children and families by building strong and effective family professional partnerships. Hi, and welcome to the newest podcast from We Saved You a Seat. I'm Tamara Crabtree here with Desiree Curry. And I actually asked Desiree to be a guest on this podcast because she has such an amazing story to share about her health and becoming a mother and Um, She frequently shares about her diagnosis and how it's impacted her life and how she hopes to inspire others. And so I just kind of wanted her to come and and join us on here and inspire us today. Her personal diagnosis came a little over 15 years ago, and today we're going to try to work those 15 years of her life into about a 45-minute podcast. So um, Desiree, why don't you just take us back 15 years, and we're just going to work our way through that. Absolutely. Um, Wow. So 15 years ago uh, can seem like a lifetime for a lot of people. Um, at times, for me, it seems like a lifetime, but then it kind of seems like it's just been a blink of an eye. Um, <clears throat> but 15 years ago, I was 20. Um, I was a sophomore in, in college. Um, I had actually started going to school to be a teacher. That was that was and that is my first love to just provide education to anyone, especially kids. Um, and I was moving along in my life like a typical 20-year-old woman. Um, you know, I had uh, prior circumstances in my life and in my childhood where <clears throat> I was caring or helping to care for a sick mother. Um, so really, whenever I, I went off to college, um, I was finally by myself. I was finally able to do the things that I wanted to do. And so I was, I turned out to be... Um, really selfish during that time. And I really didn't care um, about what was going on around me. I wanted to live my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do. Um, No one was going to stop me. I didn't have to worry about anyone or take care of anyone. Um, So 15 years ago, toward the end of the year, um, I was actually working at a grocery store. um, And I I could not go into work um, one day because I, I had woken up that day and I was seeing double. Um, what I thought had become a, a migraine had turned out to be something a thousand percent different. And I had no idea what was going on. Um, and so throughout the course of the day, it slowly progressed. I started, I woke up and I was seeing double vision. Um, and then probably a couple of hours later, I actually lost my vision. Um, then I started to lose my hearing. And then I was trying to get up and I couldn't walk and I was throwing up and I was dizzy. And I mean, every single thing that most of us take for granted um, was failing me. I had no ability to function as a human being literally 12 hours before I couldn't do. Um, And so I thought, me being 20, that I was just tired. Perhaps I had worked too hard or maybe I was doing too many things, was school was stressful, whatever it may be. So I tried to take a bath um, and I couldn't feel the temperature of the water. And so when I had pulled myself in the bathtub, because I was literally slithering into my bathroom, 
to turn on the water. Um, and I literally threw myself over the edge of the tub into the bath water and that water was so hot. I still have scars on my skin from the blisters that it caused. After that, my boyfriend at the time had, had found me. He pulled me out of the tub. He got me dressed and he ended up laying me out, um, on a mattress that he had taken from the bedroom that I was in into the living room. So I wouldn't have to keep going all over the apartment um, to do things that the living room was closer to the bathroom, to the kitchen, so on and so forth. After a few hours of just laying there and not really being able to do anything, my organs started to fail. Um, I started going in and out of consciousness. Um, I don't remember a lot of what occurred. Um, but what I do remember is my best friend had come over to see me because she knew that I wasn't feeling well. She wanted to check on me. Um, and when she found me, I was laying lifeless on the mattress. And so she called 911 to have somebody come get me. Um, and that's when it all began. They took me to the hospital. From what I understand, they started asking about a stroke if I was on some type of drug um, if, you know, something else had happened, uh, they tried getting me up to walk. Um, and when they stood me up, I fell down. Um, and this was on, uh, December 16th, I believe, um, or 15th, um, when I went into the hospital. Um, and the, the man who I will forever, um, give all the thanks in the world for my neurologist, Dr. Wolf, <clears throat> what had come into the hospital room was telling me, you know, what he thought was going on, which was completely opposite than the diagnosis. But he said that he, you know, wanted to get me in for a series of tests. And he did that. Um, I had multiple lumbar punctures. I had multiple MRIs. I had multiple blood tests. I don't even remember all of the, the tests that I went through. But um, at the end of all of it, um, on December 17th of 2005, he came into my hospital room. He was like, this is the turning point for you. And then that's when he said, you have MS. He tried giving me um, a description of what MS was, but all that I kept hearing was your life is over, your life is over, your life is over. Um, the first thing that I did ask him, the very first thing that came out of my mouth was not, can I walk? Am I going to be able to be normal? Blah, 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 blah. It was am I still going to be able to have kids? Because that's what I have always wanted. Um, I've always wanted to start a family. He told me, yes, but you're going to have some limitations there. There's going to be some restrictions. You're not going to be able to have kids later on in life. You're going to have to be very careful with what you do. You're going to have to make sure that you are very aware of your body, that you take care of yourself, and that you, you know, do X, Y, Z. And so that's what I did. Um, starting from that point, um, I had other doctors, I had professors, I had friends, boyfriends, family members telling me, you don't have to do any of this. You can pretty much, um, for lack of a better phrase, kind of just take it and allow this to happen to you because you will inevitably have people and organizations, i.e. the government, take care of you. You don't have to work again. You don't have to finish school again. You don't have to worry about having children because you're now at a point in your life where you can't take care of yourself. So how are you going to take care of a kid? Fast forward through all of that years of learning how to walk, um, learning how to talk again, feed myself, dress myself, um, really just be me, kind of brought me into a different me. 
um, it, it was that point of being diagnosed with MS that I really started listening to myself and started um, understanding what I was capable of. And the concept of no was never something that I listened to. I never listened to no. I never listened to I can't. I never did that. Um, instead, um, and people tend to laugh at this, and I laugh at it now too, but um, I'm still this way. I'm very stubborn. Um, <clears throat> I wanted to prove everyone and everything wrong. I wanted to tell those people, <laughs> I was able to do this, and you said I couldn't. You told me I couldn't walk again. Well, here I am. I'm walking. I'm running to you right now. What are you going to do? You said I couldn't have kids. Guess what? I did. I did have kids. Um, and so this, this diagnosis really opened me up to um, become the woman that I am today. But through all of that, um, because of this diagnosis, there have been some challenges, both physically, mentally, academically, professionally. I have experienced challenges, but it's being able to get through those challenges and kind of find it, I guess you could call it a workaround, through those challenges to just be and do what you want to do despite um, a limitation that you may have. Um, so fast forward to say 2012. Um, I had been in a series of um, friendships, relationships, uh, professions. I had been into a lot of jobs. Things just weren't working out for me. Um, and you know, I couldn't understand it. I was giving every single aspect of who I was into these things and they just were not working out. Um, every single relationship that I had found myself in from the time of my diagnosis until 2012 ended very badly. It always ended with people telling me, you know, when is it going to be my turn for somebody to take care of me? Why are you always sick? Why can't you do this? Why can't you get up some mornings? Or why do you have to call into work? Or my boss telling me, well, Desiree, I'm sorry that you're going through a relapse, but you're fired. You know, it's just stuff like that. It was a series of things that happened that continually knocked me down um, and a series of losses over and over and over and over again. And after a while, I became bitter. <laughs> I was done. I was doing everything I could to be this optimistic young woman who was learning about herself and was getting through everything that she needed to get through. I had started a blog. I was doing motivational speaking. I was telling all these people, it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter a diagnosis that you have. You can always get through whatever it is that you need to get through, but it's you have to find it in yourself. I was lying to those people because I didn't believe that I could do this, but I was telling everybody else that they could. Um, <laughs> in 2012, um, that's when I met my husband. Um, I met him at the job that I had started at. I could literally go down all the things for that, but my husband and I at the time did not want to be together because we worked together. Um, but that quickly went away <laughs> and we ended up uh, starting a relationship and it was a phenomenal relationship. And this man, I swear on everything, has saved me in more ways than one um, and has continually proven to me that um, I don't have to answer to people. I don't have to make them think that I can do something. I don't have to make them think that everything is great and, and wonderful and roses and daisies because it's not. Um, and so it's my job to be that blunt, honest person and say, yeah, you're going to fall 
and you're going to bleed and you will cry and things are going to be hard, but you can get it, you can get through it, and you can ultimately reach that outcome that you want to. Um, so in 2012, um, after years of trying to get my degree, um, I finally graduated with my bachelor's. And my husband, who was my boyfriend at the time, was there with me. And we had only been together for a few months. And um, he, he went to my graduation, which was in Chicago. We lived in Oklahoma. It was in Chicago. He stayed in a vehicle with me the entire time. And I'm lucky that he's still with me after that long road trip. Um, but got my bachelor's. And, um, you know, um, I decided to not... Um, continue on with a, an education degree. And so I went into my second love, which was business. Um, and so my first degree was with business administration. That was my bachelor's. And then when I went for my master's, um, I got my MBA um, and then also got my human resources management degree with that as well. Human resources has been a, a pretty significant portion of my life since MS started. Um, and that is because I have seen the good part of HR, and I have seen how HR can advocate for employees at, at corporations and really protect them and, and just be that advocate that they need to be better um, despite whatever it is that's happening to basically protect them. Um, and then I've also seen the aspects of HR that are very negative and I don't ever want that to happen in any company that I'm working at. I want to make sure that um, the HR teams that are at a company that I'm working for um, understand that there are people with limitations and they need support whenever they come into a diagnosis like this. If there's a lot of unknowns. They're scared. They don't know how to navigate stuff. They don't want their life to end um, because of a diagnosis. And so that's that was what I strived for with my MBA and my HRM. And because of that, that's I'm in the job that I'm in now. Um, and then, of course, I decided not to quit. Um, didn't want to listen to people say that I should stop after that MBA and decided to go in for my doctorate. The doctorate will probably last the rest of my life um, in research. Um, I don't think there's an end in sight for this anytime soon, but eventually I'm sure I'll get it. Um, all of that being said, the, the schooling aspect, the education aspect was very important to me, the professional aspects extremely important to me. Um, but the, the biggest thing for me during all of that um, was to prove that I could have a child. Um, I would literally eliminate every single thing that I've done in my life, uh, all the accomplishments that I've had in my life, um, all the good stuff, um, if that would bring me right back to where I am now with my son. Um, he is the biggest part of who I am and the reason why I continue to fight like hell whenever it comes to this diagnosis and whenever it comes to people telling me no. Because I want him to see that, hey, my mom was able to do this, even though somebody told her that she couldn't, she still did it. And because of that, that's why I am the way that I am today. I want him to know that he can do that. <clears throat> But that is a very long, <laughs> long-winded answer to let you know about the diagnosis from 2015 to now. Um, and all I am accomplished I, educationally. That is just, I mean, yeah. that is impressive. And then, and somewhere in between there, you had a kid. <laughs> I did. So, I so, did. <laughs> yeah. Let's let's go back to that year, and let's let's yes. kind of 
put Caleb in the middle of this because wow, of everything you've done up to this point, you have you've impre- you've stressed that Caleb is the reason behind a lot of this. And so I'm super excited to hear about your pride and joy, Caleb. So tell us a little bit about Caleb and how he came in and, and then kind of relate it back to the diagnosis that you had and how that was stress, stressful on your body. Yeah. Um, so my husband and I um, ended up getting married in December of 2014. Um, and in January of 2015, we found out we were pregnant, <laughs> which was a huge, huge surprise, um, because my doctors have been telling me that it was going to take quite some time for me to get pregnant. Um, and so when we found out we were pregnant with him, um, of course I was elated because I had always wanted a kid, but I was also terrified, um, because I didn't know how this was going to impact me, um, as far as physically, uh, with EMS. And I, I didn't know how the MS and the medication I was on would impact my pregnancy. Um, so when I found out I was pregnant, of course, all medications were stopped. Um, at this time when, when Caleb, when I found out I was pregnant in 2015, I had voluntarily stopped all of my, um, MS therapies because they, number one, they were no longer needed. Number two, they were causing liver damage and I did not want to have to endure that. Um, and so with lifestyle changes, diet, exercise, lots and lots of vitamin and, and prayers, um, I was able to kind of change what I was doing to make myself um, healthier um, to a certain extent um, away from that medication. Um, so when Caleb, when we found out we were pregnant with Caleb, the medication that I got off of was just any of the sustaining medication that I had been on, like all the vitamins that I was on or, or OTC medicine, like Tylenol, if I was in pain or something like that. So all that stuff was stopped. You know what? For the most part, um, the pregnancy was the best I had felt in years. Wow. I had no pain. Um, I, I didn't experience any brain, brain fog associated with MS. I didn't experience any fatigue associated with MS. I had no MS symptoms. And so what I had figured out was, I mean, for research and everything that doctors have been telling me is women, whenever they get pregnant, they typically stop experiencing MS symptoms. Um, and, and they, what you could call, they, they go into remission with their MS. And I had experienced that and it was great. Um, I had a very enjoyable pregnancy with Caleb and kind of, um, allowed every single aspect of what was happening with the pregnancy to just sink in. Um, and I was really just diving into all of it and trying to take in as much as I could. Um, but, you know, that, that did not last very long. Um, I, we had a gender reveal party. I think it was the weekend after Mother's Day. It was in May. <clears throat> and I, I have pictures of me and everything was great. I, I looked amazing. I didn't look like I was ill. I looked like exactly how I felt. Um, and then fast forward to June, actually June 5th, I went in for a, uh, a specialist appointment because my, my OBGYN was a little concerned at what he was seeing on some of the ultrasounds that he was doing in the office because he said that he was, he was noticing a thickening of the neck. Um, and so he wanted to send us to a perinatal specialist just to get some more advanced ultrasounds to see what was going on. 
we went in for that ultrasound and I will, um, I'm not quite sure what happened during that ultrasound. It was, it was something I cannot explain. Um, it was, it, it felt like I was being turned inside out when they were doing the ultrasound. Something wasn't right. But what they, what they were showing me, what they were telling me was that everything looks great. All the blood work came back like it was supposed to. You are 100% healthy, and guess what? So is your son. And so I was like, okay, so maybe this is just pregnancy stuff. I don't know what's supposed to happen. This is the first time I've been pregnant. Um, so we leave. Um, but then <clears throat> that entire weekend, um, it just things started feeling a little weird. Um, I felt like Caleb was trying to escape from my backside. And what I didn't know was that that was him turning breach. And I didn't realize that. Um, and at this time, the company I was working for, um, I was the type of employee who never called in, regardless of how I felt. So <clears throat> keep that in the back of your mind for when Monday comes along. Uh, the entire weekend, my husband and I are doing things. We're seeing friends. Um, our, the godparents of my son actually purchased a tree. Uh, to be planted out in our front yard so we could always remember that. Um, so that tree would always be his tree. Um, my husband and I went and we had dinner at a restaurant, but I couldn't sit still um, because it just felt like Caleb was trying to come out of me. Um, it wasn't pain to, to say that. It, it just felt uncomfortable. Um, but I, I assumed that it was just pregnancy issues and that nothing was wrong. It wasn't bleeding. It wasn't cramping. So I was like, okay, he's just being a very active little baby boy. Um, so I was okay. Um, Sunday night comes along and I'm having a hard time walking. It's not MS related. It is, it is, it is like Caleb was just kicking my butt. <laughs> um, he would not let me get comfortable. Anything that I was doing wasn't working. Um, and so I, I made myself a shallow bath so I could lay down in it to see if that would ease any of the pains that I was ha having, and it didn't. Um, and so I went back to bed that night. On Monday morning, um, I ended up texting my boss, telling him that something wasn't right. I wasn't feeling well. I needed to stay home, <clears throat> which was weird for me because I had never done that at that, at that company. Um, my husband went to work, um, and so I stayed home, and I actually stayed home in bed all day. Um, I got up a couple of times to go to the bathroom, obviously, and everything was fine. Um, but then I was laying in bed, and I started feeling cramping. Um, and it, it wasn't the type of cramping that I had ever experienced before. Um, and it wasn't anything that I had been feeling over the course of the weekend either. Um, so I got out of bed, I walked to the bathroom and uh, went to the bathroom. And when I had wiped myself, it wasn't bright red blood, but it, it was it was blood. And so I called my OBGYN's office, told them what was going on. And, and what they told me is you are fine until you start seeing bright red blood. Stay in bed, drink water and you'll be okay. And I said, okay. And they said, just keep monitoring what's going on. Um, if you think you're having contractions, then call us back. And I said, okay. And so um, I ended up laying in bed. Um, and I think I fell asleep only to wake up because I thought I had wet the bed. And I think this was a couple of hours later. It was in the afternoon. 
I get up and when I go into the bathroom, I turn on the light and I look at myself in the mirror and I was gray. It was the scariest thing I think I'd ever seen me look like before and I didn't know what was going on. Um, and then I look down and I am standing in a puddle of blood. And I call my husband and I tell him something's not right. I am bleeding and I don't know what's going on. Um, I ended up calling my brother and my father, telling them that I loved them because I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, because at this time, I like I was literally falling over, passing out in between these calls and these conversations. I tried taking a shower, <clears throat> thinking in my own way that maybe this is just maybe I just need to take a shower. And if you recall back to the MS days. When I was first diagnosed, that is something that I did. I always took a bath or a shower because I always felt maybe this would make me feel better. I took a shower. Um, when I looked down, of course, the shower was covered in blood. And so I got out of the shower. I had walked a couple of steps and then I fell. Um, my husband tells me that when he came home, he found me passed out on the floor in a, basically a puddle of blood. Um, he got me up, he put clothes on me, he got me into his vehicle, and he took me to the hospital. I don't remember anything about this. Um, I, he tries to tell me bits and pieces of it. It's too hard for him to give me details related to this day. Um, the only thing that I do know of is that he was told that the, the chances of both Caleb and I surviving were very minimal and that he needed to prepare to lose us. Um, I also remember um, them wheeling me back uh, to the Women's Center um, and they did an internal check. And the only thing I remember hearing was one of the nurses saying that uh, Caleb had fallen through the cervix. Um, then I see my, my OBGYN come in and I look at him and I beg him, you save Caleb, don't worry about me, just save my son. Um, my husband could not go back with me. I do remember that, which was very difficult for me to say goodbye to him because I didn't think I was going to see him again. Um, and then uh, they get me back into the OR. I'm in and out of consciousness. I don't recall a lot of stuff other than uh, there was a surgeon in there, um, an anesthesiologist, obviously, a lot of other people. They were both waiting for a doctor to come back to um, be part of the surgery. And then there's another doctor that had to come. And I recall hearing both of those doctors talking and sounded like he was getting upset. Um, and he said, no, we will save both of them. Um, and then that's all I remember, um, other than being in pain and screaming uh, because I was in labor trying to pushed Caleb out of me and they were trying to prevent me from doing that. That's the last thing I remember until I woke up with my husband above my face. <laughs> um, and I think the first thing that I asked was, where is the baby? Is he okay? And the nurse said, the baby is okay. Um, we have to take him to, um, I think they, I don't know what they said, but it was Baptist. Um, granted, <clears throat> before they did this, I think they let me see him, but I don't remember this. Um, I'm pretty sure they took me to a room and they wheeled Caleb back there for me to see him. I didn't get to see or hold or touch my son um, for about three and a half days. 
after I gave birth to him. A lot of stuff had happened in the hospital room um, during those three days, but I think that the, the birth, <laughs> not knowing if we were going to make it, all of that, that was extremely difficult, but not being able to touch or see my kid after I had given birth to him was probably the hardest part of all of this um, because I inevitably didn't know if he was okay. I wouldn't know until I got to touch him. Um, <clears throat> nobody could tell me what happened and why Caleb had come so early, um, especially after the appointment that I had that Friday um, and how everyone was telling me that I was, everything was healthy, he was great, I was great. Um, no one could actually articulate what had happened to me um, for quite a few days. Um, I didn't, uh, I think it was a, it, I think it was a follow-up appointment that I had with my OBGYN where he let me know you had a placental abruption, which I had no idea what that meant. Right. Nothing. And of course, of course, Google should never be anybody's friend whenever they try to find anything that involves medical information because you're just going to get terrified. Um, but uh, what, what my doctor told me was that you had a complete um, uh, placental abruption. Uh, little Caleb Elijah was born at 25 weeks and four days. Um, saying that right now gives me chills um, because I didn't even know that that was possible for a child to be born that early and for a child who was born that early to live. Um, I do specifically remember asking my doctor <laughs> the main question that I was so concerned with when he told me what happened and I said, well, was it the MS? Did the MS do this? Um, because if it was, I would, I would have never forgiven myself. Um, and he said, no, no, your MS didn't have anything to do with this. This is something that happens and, and it's rare. Um, it is a very rare thing that occurs during pregnancy and women who have healthy pregnancies can have it happen. Women who have unhealthy pregnancies can have this happen. There's no way of knowing. And so I was like, okay, um, great. <laughs> so at least I know the MS didn't cause it because then that would have made me feel selfish for the thought of wanting to have a kid. Um, but one thing that he did mention to me, uh, because Dr. Breed was, was and is very aware of my desire to have another kid. Um, and after Caleb, he said, you need to wait. You need to wait, you need to let your body heal because what's happening right now is that you've got a lot of scar tissue that, that is inside of you. Though we pulled all of that out, you are still going to have issues. Um, <clears throat> so I would wait at least a year before you guys start or even try to think about starting again. And I was like, oh yeah, that's, that's <laughs> we're not even thinking about that right now. Um, <clears throat> So with Caleb coming as early as he did, um, it was a whirlwind of things that were happening. My husband, bless his heart, not only had to be at the hospital with me uh, because he wanted to make sure that his wife was living, um, he went from Integris Canadian Valley in Yukon to Baptist. And that's not a very uh, short drive. And he did that multiple times a day while I was in the hospital, uh, just so he could make sure that both of us were okay. And because there were a lot of questions that he had, a lot of follow-up stuff that he had to do with Caleb, um, since I was unable to do that for him. I was released from the hospital after three days. Um, and the first thing that I told my husband was, we're going to Baptist. We have to go to Baptist right now. 
And he told me, no, um, we have to wait until shift change. And anyone who knows anything about the NICU, shift change is a big, big deal. And at the time, I didn't understand what that meant. And I was like, shift change? No, no. Like, I want to go see my son now. Um, but my husband took me home. Um, and he told me to rest because I think we had a few hours before shift change and he didn't want us to go there and then us be told that we had to leave for shift change. So he just wanted to wait. And he goes to pick up all of my prescriptions that I was was given. Uh, then he comes back home and that's when we start getting ready to go. Uh, Caleb's godparents had come over um, to see how I was doing. And that's when the whirlwind of emotions started because I still didn't know it was happening. Um, I didn't remember a lot of stuff that had occurred in the hospital. I still hadn't seen my son. Um, now, granted, one of the things that my husband did while I was in the hospital is he was able to set up a FaceTime between me and my son. He was able to talk to a nurse who was there who could get video of Caleb while I was in Integris, Canadian Valley in Yukon, and he was in Bathurst just so I could see him. Um, and I don't remember what day that was. I think it was day two, maybe. Um, and that was the first time that I laid my eyes on my son. And I will never forget that because it was then when I was like, okay, so he is alive. And that was incredible to me. But it was when I finally got to touch that little boy. Oh my goodness. Um, that's when I knew that no matter what, everything that I had gone through, um, all of the crap, <laughs> all of the loss, every single aspect of my life did not mean anything to me anymore. It was all this, this little boy and everything that I was going to do for him. And it was at that moment when I put my hands on him that my life completely changed. Um, what I thought had changed previously with the MS diagnosis was nothing anymore. It was all for him. Every single thing that I was going to do in my life was going to be because of him. Every single thing that I didn't do would be because of him. Um, and I, I made it my life's goal to make sure that this little boy knew that he was capable of literally holding this world and changing this world just by being him. And that is what we do day in and day out for this little boy. Um, he has had some challenges along the way um, that we are still trying to navigate through. Um, <clears throat> and it still blows my mind to think that Caleb was born at 25 weeks. And here he is, this almost six-year-old little terrorist that likes to run around the house and pull things off the wall and bite our dogs. <laughs> um, and he's just so funny and he's so sweet. And all he wants is hugs and kisses and he wants people to just touch him and just cuddle with him and he wants to play with them and he always wants to make people feel better um and he i just don't think he understands how big of a difference that he's already made in this world um just in the five and a half years that he's been here and it's i will continue to tell caleb um and until i leave this world um, how he came into this world that I'll never forget uh, with Caleb um, or circumstances that we found ourselves in five and a half years ago. Yeah. But that is the story of little Caleb. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so five and a half years ago and still obviously the emotions of that day are still very raw. I mean, I, I can hear it in your voice. Oh, yeah. <laughs> how raw it is. So it's not an experience that leaves any kind, anytime soon. 
as as we kind of walk through those those days and those months of his birth, um, how big how big was Caleb? You said he was twenty five weeks and four days, but how big was he? <clears throat> he was uh, one pound fifteen ounces, and he was twelve inches three. He was twelve and three quarter inches long. Tiny, tiny, tiny little guy. Yeah. <clears throat> and, and you're right. When a mom ends up delivering and having a baby in the NICU, I think many times we have this thought in our head that I didn't even know it was possible. I didn't even know it was possible because yeah. these are conversations that don't happen unless you have experienced the NICU. It, it's like the right. the conversation, we don't want to talk about it um, because it might happen or sometimes we just don't want to prepare for the worst situation. And so we're not going to talk about it until we have to. Mm -hmm. And so I, I appreciate you. Exactly. Um, tell me a little bit, if you don't mind, just kind of share about maybe that support piece. I know that um, through the NICU, um, sometimes it's the family, sometimes it's um, it's the nurses, sometimes it's resources, <clears throat> you know, and then even when we transitioned home, sometimes that isolation that we felt inside the NICU follows us home because we have this tiny little thing that we're responsible for. I'm just curious if you could kind of share about maybe the supports that were out there and, and things that you tapped into for those supports. Absolutely. So, um, for, for me and for Chris, my husband, uh, when we were in the NICU with Caleb, I didn't really have a lot of support with the exception of, of the staff that was in that NICU. Um, I can't count how many times that both Chris and I cried in that room, um, listening to, uh, the, you know, the stories or whatever it may be of what occurred during that day when we couldn't be there. Um, I cannot count how many times we had nurses come up to us and just hug us to get us through what we needed to get through. And that was the support that we had then. And it wasn't because our families didn't want to support us. It was because they couldn't. Um, you know, it's very limited to bring all of your family into the NICU and to have them there with you 24-7. You know, we had some, some experiences um, where some family members and some friends did not understand why we, you know, when I decided to go back to work, um, <clears throat> when Caleb was in the NICU, I had to, um, I didn't have a choice. Um, and so Chris and I were working during the day and we'd be in the NICU from 6 p.m. until as long as we possibly could, then we'd go home and that's when we would make ourselves dinner and take care of our house and do all that. Um, and so it was literally like every single day, that's what we did and, and we lost friends. Um, we had family members who didn't understand, and so obviously they weren't there to support us. And a lot of that does happen, and I think that's um, what a lot of our families may not necessarily understand in the beginning, is that you're going to have family members, you're going to have friends who don't understand the NICU journey, um, and who may potentially take it as you being negative to them, or you taking away something from them and you're not meaning to do that. Um, and, you know, sometimes it's a conversation that you can have with them. Sometimes it's not, and you will inevitably lose these people um, because they just don't understand. And at the end of the day, that's okay because you, you are trying to understand this journey. You can't explain it to somebody else to get them to understand. Right. Um, <clears throat> I would absolutely, 1000% um, implore all of our families to seek out that support. 
whether it be family or friends, if you have that opportunity, but nine times out of 10, they don't understand that because they're not there every single time that you're there. But at least having that support of them, being able to talk to them or what have you would be fantastic. You need that in order to keep going. Um, seek out the support from families who are in the NICU themselves. We had um, two families um, in the NICU. Well, we had multiple families that we connected with, but we had two. Um, one was a family, and we we still say this to this day, of a little girl that is Caleb's forever girlfriend. Um, she was in the the room right next to Caleb, and it was like they would communicate uh, via their machines beeping. They did that every single. It was the greatest thing, and so we're constantly saying that. And then we had a family of a little boy who was Caleb's roommate whenever Caleb actually moved rooms. And we stayed connected with them. And it's really getting that support from families who are in that situation because that's the type of support that you can't find anywhere else. If you can find somebody who's gone through it, you you will never, ever, ever feel alone if you have those people in your corner because you can talk to them, you can cry with them. Um, you can worry with them because they'll worry for your for your child. You'll worry for them and their child. <clears throat> it is a type of family that you never expect to have and you never want to have, but you will get it. And you, when you do get that family, that NICU family and that NICU support, it is something that you cannot ever even comprehend living without because without that support, um, you are, you feel alone. Um, there are other supports that, that our families can use, OFN being one of them. You know, I say all this um, and I need to preface it with, I didn't seek out support because I was that stubborn person who thought that I could do it all by myself and I was super mom and I didn't need anybody. And that is 1000% inaccurate. <laughs> we all need support wherever it may be. Um, find that support. Don't think that you can do it alone because you can't. Um, you support is going to be the most important thing for you to get through this journey, the journey of of the NICU or the PICU or any medical journey that you have with your child. Um, you need that support in order to ensure that you yourself are taken care of. And I am forever indebted to the people who supported me and Chris and Caleb um, because without them, I don't think any of us would be here. I really don't. Um, it was it it was a very interesting time of our lives, um, a very scary time. Um, and without that support, it's I just I really don't know where we would be. I don't. So Caleb arrived. He he was here five and a half years ago. Um, yeah. I know that I know that you and I have kind of off off audio, and we've had some <laughs> about your future. And um, and yeah. having children in your future, and so um, your doctor gave you that kind of that timeline of letting your body heal for that year. And so, how about walking mm -hmm. us through these next, I don't know, five and four and a half <clears throat> years since that time? Yeah. Um, so, lots and lots of stuff happened in our lives after Caleb came. Um, probably more things than I think we even thought we could deal with after Caleb's arrival. Um, unfortunately, the following year, my father-in-law passed away um, unexpectedly, um, and so that that was in 2016. Um, and then 
after that, we had a series of, whether it be storms, tornadoes and stuff that came through, um, losses, family members who, who passed away, school issues that I experienced, um, uh, part of me getting through my master's, I was actually kicked out of school um, because I had to take time off so quickly and I couldn't do the typical, um, there was a lot of red tape that I did not know about. Um, and so because of that, I had to sit out of school for six months. <clears throat> and so there was that. There was getting Caleb through, um, making sure that uh, he could go to doctor's appointments and that he was taking care of the way that he needed to be. Um, I actually was terminated from the job that I had um, when Caleb came. Um, and that was because of all of the doctor's appointments and just the fact that I had to be out of, out of my job to take him to and from doctor's appointments. And so that allowed me to be home with Caleb for about two years, which is such a blessing in disguise that I didn't even know I, I, want, I could even fathom on getting. Um, and so that happened. <clears throat> and then, of course, there's the being home with a medically fragile baby, taking him or her to the doctor's appointments all day long and just being purely exhausted. Um, and then after Caleb came home, I ended up having a, an MS relapse. Um, and that involved the inability to walk. Um, <clears throat> basically, it was me going back 15 years ago and just being incapable of taking care of myself and my kid. Um, so that was treated with a lot of medication um, and uh, it didn't last long, thank God. Um, and so once I got out of that, you know, Chris and I had been talking about starting a family um, eventually. We just didn't know when the right time was going to be. The, the main thing that we were concerned about was, you know, Caleb needed so much care because he had come home on oxygen and we were taking him to two, three appointments a day. He was part of um, a, like a research study called SIPSI. And we did that. And um, we there's just a lot of stuff going on with Caleb that we had to make sure that we took care of. And we didn't think that bringing a kid, another child in the world, would ever be at the right time. Uh, because we didn't want Caleb's well-being to suffer because we were pregnant with another child. That didn't stop us though. Um, we did still want to try to have another child, but it just wasn't working. Um, the amount of losses since Caleb has been here um, are exponential. Um, I can't even keep count at the amount of losses that we've experienced with getting pregnant and losing those babies. Um, and after a while of having that happen multiple times a year, year after year, you get to the point where you're like, okay, so we can't, this isn't going to happen. We have Caleb and thank God we have him. Um, and so we had accepted it, but I was still pretty mad about it um, because I didn't understand. I was like, God, you know, I, I had my son, my son came here early. He would be such a great sibling. Let me give him this and my body wouldn't do it. And so I got to the point where I was mad at my body again for not being like it was supposed to be um, and not being able to provide what it needed to provide to my son and to me and to my husband. Um, and so there had come a time not too long ago, actually. Um, it was last year because Last year, my mom 
was it last year? No, it was in 2019. My mom passed away um, unexpectedly. And um, of course, that's never a good time to even think about getting pregnant. Um, and so it was just, like I said at the beginning of, of all of this, it was loss after loss after loss. Every single time something would happen, there would be a loss of some sort. We just couldn't do it. Um, we couldn't get through it. Um, and so I think my husband and I had decided, you know, my, my original neurologist told me I cannot even think about having another kid once I'm 35 or older than 35 full term because of your MS and all the medications that you're, you'll be on are going to be fun. Well, great kid. I've been off MS therapy for almost 10 years. And so that's, that's a good thing. I like to say, <laughs> and, um, I, last year I decided to start taking care of myself. Um, I was taking care of everybody else and I had gotten to the point where I was, I wasn't being selfish, but I was being selfish with my health. I needed to make sure that I could be here for my son, that I was healthy for my son, that I was healthy for my husband, my job, my schooling, all of it. I needed to make sure that I, my priority was on me because it hadn't been for a very long time. And that's, I think that's what a lot of moms do after a while. They put their priority on their kids and everybody else. Um, but I think it was because of that, because I had taken that time to focus on me, that I had gotten much healthier. Um, and that I had finally just given it up to God um, instead of me trying to force it and trying to control the situation. Because at the end of the day, like, we're not God. We found out um, at the beginning of January that we are pregnant. And we have been waiting for this for five and a half years to give Caleb a sibling because he's going to be so great <laughs> at being that, that big brother. But then you know, we want to extend our family and we are more than elated that this has happened. And now we have reached that 13 week mark and we are in the second trimester and everything is going well. And we are just hoping and praying that this pregnancy lasts, the, the full time that this pregnancy should last and that everything is, is healthy and great and that mom's healthy and great and that we can get through this. And I really honestly think that the only way that we can get through anything is to make sure that we keep our faith and then make sure that we keep our wits about ourselves and tell ourselves that we can do what we want to do, regardless of the situation or the circumstances that we're in. We just have to keep fighting for it. And that's what, that's what Chris and I did. And so hopefully um, in September, we will have a, another little baby, a very healthy baby, and Caleb will be the best big brother in the world. <laughs> oh my gosh. I just, I am so excited for you guys. <laughs> so, so, so excited. And I, I just, yes, I want all the balloons and streamers and just to be flying in the air right now because <laughs> this is something that you are, you've just longed for, your heart has longed for. And so I think you're right. I think sometimes we don't understand our timing or that, you know, why things happen in certain time frames and, right. and you know, answers will come later. So how are you feeling about um, caring to term and possibly um, it, those experiences with Caleb that you had in ICU stuff? Are you anxious with this pregnancy? Uh, share a little bit about that. 
I'm very anxious with this pregnancy <laughs> for a multitude of reasons. Um, right. You know, with the, the losses that we've experienced, we're afraid that something's going to happen. Um, and then with Caleb, um, we're afraid that this baby is going to come early. Um, I think most people have is, are anxious with pregnancy, regardless if they've had a, a healthy prior pregnancy or not. But with this, I think I have, not only am I anxious, but I'm also... I'm more knowledgeable now, um, and I've, I have told my OBGYN and my other doctors, like, I'm sorry, I'm telling you sorry now because I know what's going to happen. It's, it's constant calls and emails and saying, hey, I felt this. Is this okay? Or, hey, so I'm not weak. XYZ, what am I supposed to be doing this week? Or, hey, can I have this to eat? <laughs> and it's just it's just making sure that I'm doing everything correctly and then making sure, again, that I have that support of the doctors um, so I don't feel like I don't know what I'm doing. Because um, let's face it, we don't know what we're doing. Um, it's just getting through it. <laughs> it's just getting through it um, unscathed and making sure that we are all healthy and happy. Um, but with this one, I think Chris and I have a, are starting to formulate a good plan. We're definitely getting things ready much sooner than we did with Caleb. I mean, my goodness, we were getting Caleb's nursery together whenever Caleb was in the NICU. Um, and now we're trying, we're thinking about doing that much, much sooner. So that stress goes away. Um, we're just trying to lay out that foundation that way we're ready no matter when it happens. Um, I am going to be letting my job know um, and creating that plan for them and saying, hey, this could potentially happen. And if it does, this will take place and all of this stuff will happen, but everything's going to be taken care of. And then making sure our family knows and that they have a plan. We're just, um, unfortunately, my job now, I'm a planner and personally, I'm a planner. So <laughs> that's what I'm doing currently, just to make sure that everyone is on the same page and that they understand what's going on and that nobody's left in the dark. Because I think a lot of what happened with Caleb Obviously, no one knew it was going to happen, and so there was not much that anybody could do. But now we just want to make sure that we're all prepared um, for anything that may happen. Fingers crossed. For all scenarios, right? You're planning for yes. all the scenarios. <laughs> yes, yes, we are, and I think that's okay. Um, and I mean, I would tell all families to do that um, just to be better prepared because you never know what's going to happen. Um, right. And I'd rather people be prepared sooner than be too late and not know what they're supposed to be doing. And so um, that's what's happening with this pregnancy. And hopefully the anxiety starts to level out a little bit the further along I get. I mean, we're going through milestones with this pregnancy. So we wanted to get through week uh, five because that's when I would typically lose other babies. Um, we got through that. We wanted to get through like week seven and eight because that was the next time um, that most miscarriages happen. Then we wanted to get through week 12 to get us into our second trimester. And here we are. Um, and then it's just going to be different milestones throughout. And that's all we can do right now. That and pray and hope um, that this continues to be a good pregnancy. My heart is so hopeful for you guys. And um, I know Caleb will be an amazing big brother. Oh, until Chris, I said uh, congratulations as well. So give him a I big hug. I will, absolutely. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> as I've sat here and listened to you share about MS and, and just your journey with Caleb and all that you've accomplished as a result of just <laughs> the pieces that have formed, you know, I thank you for letting me sit here.
speaker and listen to you and saving me a seat to listen and for you to share. Thank you so much for walking us through all of that you've been through. And thank you so much for inviting me. I can't tell you how much I appreciate this and being able to share this story at the end of it all. Um, you have this support group that is, has your back and will be here for you like family. Um, and that's what I feel like OFN has been for me, um, Chris and Caleb. I really do. Thank you so much for sharing that. And, and, you know, yeah. in the times that we're in right now with um, COVID, not mm -hmm. being able to be face-to-face -face constantly, you know, sometimes just hearing from another family and another voice of someone who's over that hill and trying to scream and carry you and just say, you can do it, you can do it. That's just been kind of my vision for, uh, for these podcasts. So I appreciate being a part of it. Love it. I absolutely love it. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Saved You a Seat. Oklahoma Family Network promotes family-centered care and provides tools so families can make informed decisions, advocate for improved services, build connections among families, and serve as a trusted resource in health care of children and young adults. If you would like to become a supporting family or get in touch with another family, please contact Oklahoma Family Network at oklahomafamilynetwork.org or by calling 405 271-5072.